0: There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you?
1: Welcome to our final episode of our series, Monochrome. Today, our entry is the science fiction opus, The Day the Earth Stood Still, a movie that brought us the phrase, Klaatu Barada Nikto, which has stood for decades as a simple method for sci-fi nerds to identify themselves to each other. And, of course, this film has been honored in the greatest way possible. It is referenced in the very first line of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Surely there is no greater tribute. Up yours, Nobel Prize! Um, my name's not Shirley. So, so yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to call you that anyway. <laughs> and now, you're, now your name is Peaches. <laughs> The 1950s were the start of the Atomic Age, and science fiction movies spewed out into our culture like the waste from a fast breeder reactor. (laughs) So after 70 years, how well does this alleged classic hold up? Are we talking Forbidden Planet, or Attack of the The Eye Creatures? (laughs) Let's find out. I'm your host, Max. We mean no harm to your planet, Levine. (laughs) And over there, encased in a solid block of transparent plastic that he is currently disintegrating his way out of, is your host, Mike. You missed the field trip, David Gardner! Loose. Give greetings to the Earthlings, Mike. I can't get out, I can't get out, I can't get out. It's magic! Up yours!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, science fiction. So that's, Is that classic with a K?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but first, before we get to that, we have our Poll question. <music> question. We asked quite simply, what is your favorite holiday film? Mike Dance asks, quite reasonably, does Rex Manning Day count? Oh Mike, of course it does.
0: <laughs> I still celebrate Rex Manning Eve. <laughs> mm.
1: Yes, it's gets great hanging up your stockings and singing Say No More Mana no More around <laughs> the Manning tree.
0: The Manning tree. Well, I personally (laughs) like to say far from the Manning crowd, but that's just
1: me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Thomas Hardy. That's a bend. That's what that is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Carl says, it's a wonderful life. Hmm. Well, I guess it is. Oh, well, the movie. (laughs) Ironically. Ironically, it was a box office bust. That's true. Opening in early January, well after the holiday. That part I didn't know. That was dumb. Well, the producers let the copyright expire. Well, we talked about that. No, they they didn't. Everyone thought they had. At a little station down south, don't recall the call letters, caught on to this. They started running it multiple times a day around the holiday and picked up viewership. Word got out there was a Jimmy Stewart movie you could run for free, and it became a holiday classic by virtue of avail- availability heuristic. And that little station was called TNT. <laughs>
0: Actually, I uh, was G- WGN, but that could be me. That, that's yeah, obviously yeah. Chicago, but...
1: Yeah. Matt, Matthew Reisman points out to Benjamin Carl that most holiday classics are so because of cheap TV rights. <laughs> Christmas Story is that way, too. He's He's got a point. Yeah. Wasn't that a TV
0: uh, movie, though? What's
1: you know, I movie? honestly don't know. I thought it was. I didn't think it was released in theaters. Yeah, I didn't think so, either. Uh, Daniel Howe says, doesn't count as a film, but Pee-wee Herman's Christmas special. There, I said it. Don't be hatin'. That's how he spelled it. H-A-T-E apostrophe N. Don't be hatin'. I assume that's how you say it. Uh, Adam Marks says, A year without a Santa Claus. Oh, it's always been my favorite. I guess we can count uh, the the Christmas specials, the Rankin Bass, even though they're not like uh, a movie length. Not on this show. <laughs> Dave, Dave says, I, I enjoyed Die Hard at the time. <laughs> That is, it technically, that is a Christmas movie. He's sure. right. But as I get older, I have a spot, soft spot for It's a Wonderful Life. Can't mm. deny it. That said, the one we watch every year together is Love Actually. Really? Love okay. Actually? Is yeah.
0: That, is that another um, Alan uh, Rickman film?
1: He's no. in it, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, that, it's an anthology film that an, it, only the end of it takes place at Christmas. But, yeah. Ah. Hmm. Steve Kellner gave us a list. Ooh. My favorite Christmas specials include How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, yeah. The Pinky and the Brain Christmas special. (laughs) I want to be a dentist, Brain! (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) No more holiday specials for you. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. You Without a Santa Claus. Olive, the Other Reindeer. Mm. And weirdly, I have now watched the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special twice now, and it is excellent. I liked it. It was fun. As for movies... Miracle on 34th Street, the 1957 version. White Christmas, despite some of the idiot plot, the ad-lib riff on Sisters by Bing and Danny Kaye alone, and yes, it was ad-lib, it was a joke they kept, is brilliant. I've never actually seen that. Me either. Now I'm kind of curious. Christine Santos says, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Dan Schaefer says, Seconded, it's becoming an annual tradition here. It is a
0: surprisingly good Muppet movie for when it was put out.
1: It is. It's also surprisingly true to the book.
0: Yeah. See, hmm. I don't remember any Muppets in the original. Oh, they were.
1: They were. Of Charles Dickens, Dickens mentions them. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, there, there, they call them felt laddies. Do they? They do. Trust me. Don't look it up. Balcoons. <laughs> felt laddies. <laughs> 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 Val Kuhn says, "If I have to, I have to pick just one. I'd go with Desk Set. Huh? It's not a Christmas movie per se, but it no. does have a big Christmas scene, so I always save it to watch in December. Okay. The I movie mean, itself is charming, with a nice array of defined characters, story arcs, and a big computer.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay, it has a Christmas scene, which is basically everybody in the office getting drunk.
1: But okay. Matt Reisman says, Hogfather." Oh, okay. If you haven't seen it or don't recognize the title, it's worth looking up. That's uh, based on a Terry Pratchett novel. The BBC did a live version of it. Mm. I love the book. Wasn't crazy about the uh, special. Ah. And from uh, far up north in the land of Santa Claus, <laughs> we have Vince. Nothing beats a Muppet Christmas Carol for my holiday films. It is seriously the best adaptation of the sto- that story for me. Other than that, I'm not a big fan of holiday-themed films. I do love Nightmare Before Christmas and that covers a couple of holidays it's at once. John Houston's last film was about the time between Christmas and New Year's and starred Angelica Houston. It, it was called The Dead. <laughs> oh, that's, that's Christmassy and it's brilliant. I think it counts. OMG, I, I don't know how I forgot he added this later. I, the animated film Claws oh. with the K. I just watched it again yesterday with the nephews. It's an amazing 2D animated film. Well, thank hmm. you, Vincent. Thank all of you. So, what's uh, your favorite uh, holiday film?
0: That's a wonderful life. I mean, it has. I mean, it makes me cry every time, more than once, and it is a film I associate with the holiday because it's something I used to watch while waiting for mom to come home from midnight mass. So uh-huh. it says my mom and it has that holiday and I don't care. I'm sorry. Uh, you didn't think it was a, a Christmas movie. Uh, Mr. What's his name? The director, Bite it, me,
1: Frank Capra.
0: Yeah, but it was <laughs> besides, as we all found out last week, Capra means goat. How about you, Max? What's your favorite? Again, we said any holiday everyone focused yeah, on Christmas, except for
1: Vince with Dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well, um, I probably that's—I would assume that's the holiday that has simply the most movies. Yeah, I mean, it's Arbor Day. Charlie Brown never really caught on.
0: You know, I'd actually throw in Coco for the Day of the Dead because oh, yeah. I really like Coco. Mm. Um, I don't think it—it t- it makes me an expert in any kind of Mexican culture but at least it seems to take it seriously. Yeah, and I like the characters and I really like the stories. So, but anyway, Max, your favorite holiday film? Well,
1: I love It's a Wonderful Life, but for me, it has to, I have to every holiday watch some version of A Christmas Carol. The thing is it doesn't have to be the same one. Like this year I watched Scrooge, the one with that, the musical with Albert Finney. Sometimes it's the one with Alistair Sims or the Muppet Christmas Carol. I just I like that I like that story and uh, I like watching it because quite honestly, the book not that good. It's also very short.
0: Besides the fact that there's three thousand versions of that yeah. story, um this year you and I participated in a new <laughs> yes, version of we that did. story. We did. So uh, that's our other podcast, Q Footsteps. Yep. Hey, look for us on all those podcast apps. Won't yeah, you? why
1: not? But thank you all for your answers. They were terrific, as always.
0: But they're not as good as the answers that will be to this question, Max. Yes. What question is that?
1: What cinematic disaster scenario is the most frightening for you? Ooh. Volcanoes erupting, tidal waves, meteors, bees. The price of Kreplock going up? (laughs) (laughs) Ah! (laughs) <laughs> not the bees, not the creplock <laughs> Ah, creplock And we'll tell you at the end of the show how you can answer this question If you haven't figured it out by now
0: You've had 233 episodes, folks Yep.
1: And now, trivia The facts Budget, roughly 1.2 million hmm. Take, about 1.8 million
0: mm, mm. Not
1: so good Not not a crashing success. It made more overseas. The screenplay is based on a a story called Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates. Mm. It was originally published in Astounding Science Fiction, and Bates was paid a whopping $500 for the story.
0: I think it was a pirate, too. uh, Something about roller skates. uh.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Don't make me hurt you. (laughs) That's a deeper. (laughs) Uh, Gort is played I, of course, every, I mean, everyone knows this. Actually, this is a big, like, science fiction trivia question. Played by a guy named Locke Martin. yeah, yep, Locke, spelled like door lock. He was not originally an actor. He was the doorman at Grauman's Chinese Theater and was cast because he, he was over seven feet tall. His height's been reported at anywhere from seven foot four to seven foot seven. The problem is, while he was really tall, like a lot of people who are unusually tall, he wasn't built to scale. He wasn't very strong. In fact, he was actually kind of frail. He couldn't carry Patricia Neal, so he had to be aided by wires. Uh, In shots from the back where he's carrying her, it's actually a mannequin.
0: Oh. Hmm.
1: He also had a lot of trouble with the heavy gort suit and could only stay in it for about half an hour at a time. He had real trouble standing on the plat- on the uh, ramp of the uh, spaceship because he had to bend his legs and he had a lot you of- could only do that for a few seconds. Mm. To give the appearance of seamlessness to the spaceship, the crack around the door was filled with putty and then painted over. When the door opened, the putty was torn apart making it look like the door just appeared. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think they had to do that like last or yeah. something like, where it's basically like, we can only do this once, folks, so get it yep. right.
1: The Ar- they asked for the Army's cooperation in this movie. <laughs> uh, the Army guys read the script and refused. So they went to the National Guard. And the National Guard said, oh, you want to make the Army look silly? Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> so that's all National Guardsmen you're seeing. Good for you. I
0: didn't think that the Army looked silly. They look
1: kind um, of ineffectual. And trigger-happy. Yes. Mm, Well, one although we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. The equations seen on Professor Barnhart's blackboard are real physics equations, and they describe a particular form of the famous three-body problem in Newtonian gravitation, which I know Mike has worked on extensively. A problem which has no general closed form solution. Such many body problems are central to navigation in interstellar space. Well, duh. The manner of writing and organization of the terms show that a real physicist had produced the work. But, Max, that was the the formula for a chocolate malted. (laughs) Mm, Yum, yum. I've been a scientist and I taught. (laughs) Uh, Patricia Neal, who plays Helen, uh, has admitted in interviews she she was completely unaware. She had no idea the film would turn out so well. She thought it would just be another one of those dime-a-dozen flying saucer movies. And she had a lot of trouble keeping a straight face through most of her lines.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: To increase the sense of reality, a lot of the famous broadcast journalists of the times were doing cameos. Oh. We don't really recognize them, but Gabriel Heater, H.V. Keltenborn, Drew Pearson, and Elmer Davis, those are real broadcast journalists.
0: Huh. With their real
1: hats? Their real hats and their real bow ties.
0: And real smoking. <laughs> we'll get back yeah, to smoking, too. Lots and lots too. of
1: smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bernard Herman, master ah. a master of unconventional orchestrations, used two theremins to create his eerie music, one pitched higher, the other lower, cementing the early electronic instruments association with science fiction. <laughs> uh, composer, I'm going to say this wrong. Ferd Grofé Senior had employed it a year earlier in his score to Rocketship XM, which us Mystees <laughs> know about. <sighs> Someone else had used it in The Thing from Another World in 51. And according to Danny Elfman, uh-huh. Bernard Herrmann's score inspired him to become a composer.
0: Uh-huh. Thanks,
1: Bernie. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't Albert Glasser, the man who pummels you with music. <laughs> it should have been, in terms of, hi, I can't, I can't repeat this nearly enough. The scene of the large cl- crowd fleeing the sorcerer after Gort appears is kind of obviously sped up. Which makes the shot look a little unnatural. I really noticed it this time. I didn't. The the reason for the sped-up effect was explained by the director in an interview. Um, Despite a whole lot of pleading and cajoling, this crowd of inexperienced extras, most of whom, by the way, were federal employees who just happened to be hanging around, (laughs) uh, they wouldn't move away from the saucer quickly enough to look panicky and convincing. After several takes... The director, Robert Wise, just had to move on with filming and allowed the scene to be sped up.
0: Huh. Hmm, didn't notice.
1: Uh One of the reasons Michael Rennie was cast as Klaatu was that he was generally unknown to American audiences and would be more readily acceptable as an alien than a more recognizable actor. Studio head Daryl Zanuck had shown the script to Spencer Tracy, who, who wanted to play the role. Uh-huh. Yeah. can You imagine Uh, Spencer Tracy as Klaatu? No. Yeah. Producer Julian Blaustein objected, saying the audience would have numerous expectations about the character upon seeing an actor of such repute emerging from a flying saucer, probably going like, hey, where's Katherine Hepburn?
0: Pretty much.
1: Blaustein knew that Zanuck had the ultimate control, and if he insisted, Blaustein would have either had to resign or make the movie in an unsatisfactory way. Fortunately, Zanuck backed down, and they cast Rennie. Yeah. Doubles were used for Klaatu and Bobby in the long shots of them walking around Washington because none of the principal cast ever went to Washington. Ah. Oops. (laughs) Yep. This is only the second big-budget science fiction film to be released by a major studio since Just Imagine in 1930. (laughs) Yeah. Over 20 years. The first one, you know what that was?
0: Uh, by a big studio? Yeah. Um... Boy, it I only came notice.
1: out three months earlier. In 19...
0: You said it was 51. 1930? 19- oh, oh in was, It was either the... Was it The Thing or... Um...
1: Yep, it was The Thing from Another World. Okay. That's right. Although he was already signed to play the sort of Albert Einstein-like Professor Barnhart, a part pretty much a lot like the character he played in Gentleman's Agreement in 1947, the studio wanted to replace Sam Jaffe... Because of, As a result of his liberal politics, which made him a suspect in the anti-communist witch hunts and the blacklist that were underway. But the producer, Blaustein, he appealed right to Zanuck, and Zanuck said, yeah, you can play the role, but it would be Jaffe's last Hollywood role for almost 10 years.
0: Oh. He actually kind of looks, I don't know how, why this makes no sense, he looks left-leaning. I, I don't know what that means, <laughs> what? but he does. He does. Okay. He looks like, I don't know. Uh, right. Not a bad thing. I'm just like, yeah. I look at this guy, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it.
1: Uh, the screen wrote, script writer Edward North was a former Army officer who wrote the script in response to the proliferation of nuclear weapons during the Cold War. Interesting. During the early phases of pre-production, here's another casting thing, Daryl Zanuck suggested, and you got to wonder, Daryl, what were you thinking? For the role of Gort, he wanted Jack Palance. <laughs> what what would be the point? Why um, I mean, he doesn't have any lines. You can't see him. Clatu, uh, uh, you are my number one guy. <laughs> Could we have
0: Larry's other brother Daryl? Because this one's not really making any sense.
1: <laughs> Seriously, okay, whatever. Uh, in the boarding house scene, Mrs. Barley has a couple of lines who we all recognize immediately as Francis Bavier. Uh, a.k.a. Aunt B from the Andy <laughs> Griffith show, but there is another Andy Griffith person in there. Mr. Krull, and it, yes, it's spelled the same way as the movie, uh, is played by Olan Soleil, and uh, he showed up in Andy Griffith as John Masters, the Mayberry Choir Director. Ah. Um, coincidence? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Originally, Klaatu's post-death resurrection at the end of the movie was supposed to be permanent, reinforcing his godlike powers. But at the time, the Breen office, the film industry censors, didn't like the ending. They suggested it was too left-wing, apparently. I guess all the anti-war stuff. And insisted that the director and writer put in the line, that power is reserved for the almighty spirit.
0: I'd like to interject
1: a... Yeah, yeah. Both Wise and North hated the line and thought it completely inappropriate, negating the concept of Klaatu's race being all-knowing and all-powerful, but the studio would not back them up, and they had to put it in.
0: Good. So from now on, I can edit that part out.
1: Yes. Uh, Nerd moment. Klaatu establishes that he traveled to planet Earth from 250 million miles away. 250 million miles is equivalent about 402 million kilometers or 0. 0.0004 oh, sorry there should be four zeros 4 light years it would put Klaatu's home planet someplace between Mars and Jupiter.
0: Yeah, I looked that mm. up too cuz I'm like 250 that's not really there's not even a planet there.
1: Nope, there there's nothing there but it sounded cool. Yeah. And uh, this is for you Mike. Oh. I did At the, the bottom? now, when we see Hugh Marlowe. Mm who is not Hollywood
0: actor Richard Carlson,
1: although... (laughs) Stop, stop, hang on, I'm getting there. We see uh, the character Tom, who is Helen's boyfriend, played by Hugh Marlowe. At the bottom of the glass door to his office, the name Richard Carlson is written because those two guys looked like each other and were often mistaken for each other. (laughs) Richard Carlson, we all know, of course, from Tormented.
0: Tom Stewart killed me. Tom Stewart <laughs> killed me. Yeah, as soon as he came on, I was like, oh my God, it's Hollywood actor Richard Carlson. Yep, and I was like, yep. cool. And I went and checked average. was like, wait, Hugh Marlowe? Who the yeah, heck Hugh is Marlowe, that?
1: Hugh Marlowe, we have seen him before. He's in All About Eve. He's well, apparently playwright. he's in Tormented, too. Yeah, no, no, no. Hugh, no, <laughs> That's Richard Carlson. Oh, shut up. <laughs> There's a ton of other stuff, but uh, I think that'll cover it for now. So let's get but. to the plot. Ooh. It's nineteen fifty one. In America <laughs> All eyes are on a mysterious object. A flying object. A flying object that is unidentified. Mm. But then it is identified. Oh, well, fine. Yes, it's a spaceship from space <laughs> bearing with it a surprisingly human-looking alien named Klaatu, member of a galactic coalition of aliens, a united federation of planets, if you will. <laughs> With him is a giant metal robot named Gort. Gort enjoys long walks on the beach, standing immobile for long periods of time, and disintegrating the hell out of anything that annoys him. Swipe right. Yep. After welcoming Klaatu with open bullets, the warm and trusting government of Cold War-era America tells him his request to address all the world's leaders together about his mysterious mission is impossible. So Klaatu vanishes from Walter Reed's hospital and its crack security of one locked door and one guard, and <laughs> ventures out into Washington, D.C. to see what it is to live like the human. <laughs> he ends That's up, mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry, couldn't help it. He ends up in a boarding house posing as a Mr. Carpenter. Gort, meanwhile, is living under the assumed name of Mr. Walrus. Here he no, meets, he isn't. <laughs> yes, yes, he totally is. It's in the script. <laughs> Here he meets spunky young boy Bobby and Helen, Mother of the Year, who constantly thinks her son is lying and thinks nothing of entrusting him for a day to some guy she just met less than 12 hours ago. Hey! Bobby shows Klaatu the Lincoln Memorial so Klaatu can see how cool some humans can be. And also Arlington National Cemetery so he can see... Oh boy, nice move, Bobby.
0: How dead some Americans can be?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, how many of them died in the wars? They make contact with Professor Smartington, sorry, Barnhart, (laughs) who Klaatu impresses through the power of math and makes arrangements to meet with a group of international scientists instead of heads of state. Klaatu arranges a, guys, I'm serious, demonstration, wherein he hits all the breakers for planet Earth except for hospitals and planes in flight for half an hour. Naturally, everyone reacts calmly to this. Sadly, Helen's boyfriend, Tom, figures out who Mr. Carpenter is and narcs on him to the Pentagon. Plato ends up killed, but Gort, who is secretly Space Jesus, brings him back to life (laughs) so he can deliver a grim warning to the people of Earth. If you go into space and act like jerks, we'll go totally Death Star on your collective ass. (laughs) Klaatu and Gort depart, and Helen and Bobby no doubt spend the rest of their days locked in a research lab as the only people who actually spent time with the alien. The end. The film.
0: Okay, first off, you're not supposed to be so
1: biased when you tell the plot. I can't help it. If you just look at the plot, it is kind of silly. No, it isn't. I disagree. Right from the start
0: I disagree. I disagree with Max entirely. Next show. (laughs) Let's get to it. Well, we often start with the uh, well, we often start with how when's the first time you saw this? I don't know. Do you as a kid?
1: Uh, Yeah, I saw it as a kid. The first time I saw it in a theater, I think it was at the off the wall. I'm
0: trying to think I probably have. Because I've, I seen, think I've seen so many you, times. was either
1: that or, at an, or a science fiction marathon. Probably yeah. both. I, I don't know which was the first.
0: But the first time, who, who
1: knows? Yeah, it, it
0: was. It was an occasional. It was not as common as the War of the Worlds or even the. And tarnishing. I don't know
1: why, because despite my wise assery, it's a, it's a lot better than War of the Worlds.
0: Well, we'll get to that. Um, we have some actors who I want to say. I don't think we're ever really big
1: household no. names. Michael
0: yeah. Rennie. Let's start with him. No, was he a household this, name then? This no. is, is his he won only. Now? Lead,
1: this is his only leading role ever. He never. He never had one. He was, but he is a huge. He's been in tons of stuff as a supporting actor. But yeah. Well,
0: he, I think it's fair to say that our audience probably knows him best as either the Sandman from Batman or the Keeper <laughs> from Lost in Space.
1: Oh sure. Yeah. The Keeper.
0: Yeah, he was in the only two-parter. It was his black and white episode, and he played the a intergalactic zookeeper. And I think um, he was actually oh. trying to take Doctor Smith and part of his exhibit. And honestly, oh, have oh, good him.
1: lord, that was him! Yeah. Oh, I'm just remembering the scene. Oh, god.
0: Yeah, with his magic glowing. I bowl. had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he had a, he had a goatee or something on, so I can imagine your confusion. Mm-hmm. I want to say he brings a very calm intensity to the role he yeah. does have a little bit of that fish out of water but it's never overpowering
1: no he's never he's never fumbling no. he's sometimes a little mystified but he's never that what's going on
0: well thankfully he never go so far as earth money money what is money i know not of this money he's like well um uh, but i don't have paper will diamonds do and bobby <laughs> Proving himself <laughs> to be the child and, let's face it, the um, American child that he is. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll give you two bucks for new diamonds.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, you know, way to go, Bobby. He's, it uh, he seizes an opportunity and grabs it. He just... I mean, those are diamonds have got to be like two carats each. Bobby yeah. just nabbed himself like $40,000 worth of rock. Yeah. That's a plot point that I don't quite get. And I I I remember well, we'll before... will come back to the plot point. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: so Michael Rennie, I... I think it actually really benefits the film that he is an unknown. And I think having Spencer
1: Tracy, <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. It, or it even just... if
0: they had decided, well, you know, let's put Jack Palance in the little, the funny suit. We'll put somebody else in the robot. No, <laughs> I think having a well-known actor would not have helped because you want that unknown. Like, I don't know what he's going to do.
1: Yeah. Right? I think the best known actor in this is aunt B.
0: Yeah. Pre- well, and then she's probably not even that established yet.
1: No, I don't, the Andy Griffith show was a little later, was it? 60s, yeah. Yeah.
0: Patricia Neal, I honestly don't know another film she's been in,
1: but... She's done tons of stuff, but she's always sort of side in, She has a small part in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, that yeah. film. Yeah, <clears throat> that one. She, I think, is terrific. She has this sort of... She's not an ingenue, but there's this kind of openness about her while still having that, that sort of background of sadness because her husband's dead.
0: Right. I actually really like her character. I, the note I had on her was that she is a good character. She's strong. She's open-minded. There is one scene that they make the character do that I was like, oh, cool, this is a character who to- Oh, there she is doing it. She eventually does scream and go into hysterics, and it honestly feels out of character for her. Yeah,
1: that kind of surprised me, because she's very together most of the time. Well,
0: she's open-minded, which for that time period, is pretty tough. We're talking just post-World War II. Mm. It is technically the Cold War, but we're not... I want to say the Cold War is not as big a thing until Sputnik happens, and then everyone's like, wait, the Russians are doing what? But to an every everyday basis, I don't think it's, it's a bi- as big a thing in 1950-51. She's uh. still not as big a thing as it's going to be. I don't think it it's was,
1: a, the roots were pretty deep already. You got to remember that they've had 6 years after World War after World War 2 to build for this to start building. The iron curtain's already come down. I don't the fear th- was beginning. You beginning, can hear this, but
0: not I don't think it's there yet because we but still, you still have the,
1: he, it shows what, up. I mean, Aunt B at one point they're they're sitting around the table at breakfast talking about the, the alien and she says, "I think he's from right here on earth." You know where I mean. She's talking about Russia,
0: but she doesn't say it with fear. She says it with those people. You know what I mean? It's not really that. It won't. It's not like the like the Reagan era Cold War where it's like, oh, he's going to roll over and hit the button. Oh dear (laughs) gods. So I I I appreciate her open mindedness for the time. The fifties was not known for being open minded. I appreciate her strength, especially as a quote-unquote, stereotypical housewife, although she's a single mom, which is not yeah, stereotypical. that's unusual. And she's looking for somebody, and I really appreciate that she eventually goes, you know, I'm not marrying you. Well, yeah, Tom creep. shows
1: his... Tr- he does. He shows it. She's saying it, what this means to the rest of the world. And he has that extremely revealing line, you know, what do I care But I don't care about the rest of the world. It's like, All okay, right. yeah, yeah, not so much.
0: So I think for the time... For 70, almost three years ago, or two years ago at this point, I think she's actually a pretty strong female yeah. character, especially for a science fiction film where generally all women got to do was point and scream.
1: Yeah. No, I think, yeah, and she's the one he trusts. In the original story and in the original script, they had a Klaatu and uh, Helen had a much closer relationship. They're sort of a. Sense of a budding romance. Oh, did he? Was there a space baby? Oh my! uh, No, it's it's 1951. They probably might have had a space handshake.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Hollywood actor Richard Carlson. I know it's Hugh Marlowe. Yeah, Uh, he fits his part really well. I think. Sadly, he he plays kind of the everyman. Only kind of a jerk.
1: (laughs) I mean, also. You know, he's the one. He's really kind of a jackass. The way he treats Helen in a lot of ways, when she brings up anything important, he's just like, "Oh, you silly woman!" Yeah, having your woman thoughts. And what was the I gotta answer? say, the kid—the kid who plays Bobby.
0: Yeah. What you think of him? You know, he's got just the right amount of gee whiz and curiosity. And I'm not listening to you, Ma. I'm gonna go out after. I don't know. I actually liked him.
1: Yeah. I think uh, the, the actor, Bobby Gray, uh, who plays him, who was like in everything around then. He played a lot of kids on TV. Yeah. I think he does a really nice job. He he has both the gee whiz, the enough of the I'm a good boy, so I'll go to bed when you tell me to, but then yeah. I'm going to sneak out and follow, follow Mr. Carpenter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't pick that name on purpose. <clears throat> yeah. The
1: yeah. W- Car- what? It is actually a Jesus analog. Of they, they course say that. it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the one thing I will say is that after he goes out and follows Klaatu and figures out that Carpenter and Klaatu are one and the same and comes back home waiting for mom to show up, he gets over his excitement awful darn quick. He like, does. Mom, you, you will th- believe it. Carpenter went in the spaceship and the robot moved it. No, he didn't. You were dreaming. Okay, I'll go to bed now. Wait, uh, huh?
1: <laughs> but you notice his mother, yeah, his mom is like, oh, you see, you and your little boy imagination. Why are your shoes wet?
0: Yeah. And he's just like, oh, my mother, the grass is wet. But th- that that part of the scene is just like I understand not wanting to to just sort of settle on it for a while, but it's like the kid really just gets over his whole story awful
1: quick. He does. I I mean I don't care if he looks left leaning. I thought the guy who played Professor Utonium or whoever it was, <laughs> he
0: was, was Sam Jaffe. Is that what you said? yeah Sam Jaffe?
1: I thought yeah. he did. A, I thought he did a really nice job. He had that sort of a sense of wonder and skepticism and. This is an alien. I'm talking to an alien. And Let's face it. He looks like a scientist. <laughs> he really does. He looks like, like he, with a little more eye makeup, he'd look like a mad scientist. But he does look like a scientist.
0: I mean, all he needed was leather patches on his coat because he's worn them through. Right? That those those weren't for fashion. That was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, I do appreciate. It's a very white film, but when there are crowd shots, there are some people of color there. Admittedly, yeah. it's the same two people
1: every time. <laughs> and none of them get to talk, but they are no. there. We do and see that there, there are at least two black people in Washington.
0: Yes. Like, yeah, because there's a state. Yeah, that's well known for not having any. Oh, never oh, ever. yeah, yeah. I also appreciate that when it comes time to bring in the scientists, we do have visually scientists yeah. from all over the world. That's actually pretty cool. That was a nice touch. So I'd say in all, I would say the acting is not outstanding, but I would say that it is respectably strong and consistent.
1: I would go further. I think for a 1950s science fiction film, it is outstanding.
0: Well, and let's get to that part now. So this is really early in the science fiction 50s thing, and they're doing something that we are not going to see much of in the 50s and won't really see done with any volume till the 60s, and that's... Treating science fiction seriously. They're taking a very interesting premise, and they're not. There's gadgets, but that's not the focus of the film at all. Even Gort, the giant robot, doesn't really do that much. Nope. It's really all about, you know, okay, let's face it, the message is a bonk bonk on the head message, which I'll borrow from another podcast, which is war is
1: bad. don't have a war
0: <laughs> you know i honestly think that if she had managed to fluctuate her voice that way she could have stopped Gort. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thud.
0: yeah but and it's this is also an odd message in a way for the early 1950s because we came out of world war ii and while people weren't pro war, we won that one, and it was a pretty positive ending as far as the Americans are concerned. Yeah, sure, we're in the middle of Korea, or we're about to be. Actually, no, fifty-one. We're in the middle of Korea. Yep. But Korea, to the as far as I can tell, didn't make any kind of impact like World War Two. Nor it confused as Vietnam people would. for
1: one thing because we weren't being attacked; we were supporting someone else. Right,
0: but it's very interesting to see serious science fiction, and a message like that happening in 1951. I actually thought the film was later on. I thought it was more like 56, 57. I didn't realize it was 51. And I've watched it many times. I just never paid attention
1: to that part. I mean, that's why they thought it was a lefty film. Was it was saying war is bad. Well, it is. <laughs> you think? Well, so one of the other things is,
0: like, so the later on, there, as you said, uh, Hollywood actor Richard Carlson, I know it's not him, yes. has finked on Klaatu and his bride-to-be, and there's a little car chase scene, which is not, it, there's no focus on it, it's just him trying to get to the meeting.
1: It's not even that much of a chase, it's not a high-speed thing, it's they're just worried about being caught, and they're being grilled by a taxi driver who has no idea what's going on.
0: And I know I said that the the Cold War wasn't as big right now, but there's the way that they show it is interesting because it's all about being watched, yeah, and them noticing they're being watched as they go past each intersection. It's like, oh, you know, the army guys keep looking at our cab. Uh oh,
1: the Red Scare was taking root pretty solidly in 1951.
0: Well, we'll get the the House on American activities in a couple of years. So yeah, it's it's but it's not. We haven't got to that point yet. Still, we see him trying just to get to this meeting and the idea is like look i don't want to talk to any one government i need to talk to everybody the point is to tell everybody at the same time and the u.s government's like oh but that's that's impossible (laughs) and he's like okay fine so he talks to scientists and it's like uh a scientist from around the world yeah i can do that give me like 48 hours no problem and so he's going off to do that and The cool thing I thought about the car chase is during the car chase, we're on the side of the alien. Yeah. We're really taking the other side, the other
1: viewpoint. We don't want him to be caught.
0: No. And he's always trying to, and we don't even know what he's doing yet. Like, he hasn't come out with his big reveal. But we're on Klaatu's side because he's shown absolutely no aggression of any kind. And of course, you know, the. National Guard is making the Army look bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. The, what happens to him, the first, the first thing that happens to him when he gets off his spaceship is he gets shot. Yeah. Now, to be fair to yes. that one guy, mm-hmm. you just saw a spaceman come out of a flying saucer and he pulls something out of his uniform and points it at you. Yep. I don't think the Army guy was that out of line no. for panicking a little because that could have been anything.
0: I will say that was the one dumb move Klaatu makes. It's yeah. like, dude, really? If you're going to give a gift, give it later.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And don't point it at people. Or at the very
0: least, say, I'm not armed. Or I here am is now a, going this to sh- is a
1: gift, yeah. which I will put down on the ground next <laughs> to me and step away from. And whatever you do,
0: don't piss off the robot. Just say it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you notice Gort goes from non-lethal to lethal pretty suddenly.
0: Well, and why does
1: he? Because Klaatu's been shot. That's right. Yeah. And
0: the thing about this movie that I also like, as I said, it takes science fiction seriously. It takes a premise, and the premise isn't even that far-fetched. There's another race of people... Um, strangely close to us, I think it <laughs> yeah. probably should have meant light years. And yeah. unfortunately, we're not going to see this same kind of plot until 1959. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Yeah. Plan 9 is uh. pretty much the same idea, except done really
1: badly. Yes, yes. This is the idea like, an- like anti-Day the Earth Stood Still, yeah.
0: Screw up your planet all you want if you start bringing weapons into space, we're going to have a problem.
1: Well, and, you're going to have a problem.
0: Yeah. Cause but we're we'll not going to we'll get to the that. message. So, yeah.
1: not, uh,
0: so the whole science fiction premise is there are other people further advanced on other planets, hauntingly close to us, and they <laughs> have a different viewpoint than we do. Yeah. And that's it. And they stick to it. They don't make it outlandish. They don't overblow it. And it is a what if scenario and I really appreciate that this early on in the game, we're not going for bug-eyed monsters and death crazy robots and yeah. you know. This
1: I mean this does not make us look very good. I, I like I love Klaatu's line, I'm impatient with stupidity. My <laughs> people have learned to live without it. Yeah. Ouch!
0: Actually, well, the other one, of the, I had that actually noted, too, but my other favorite race, or favorite race, my other favorite <laughs> line was, you don't no longer have the freedom to act irresponsibly.
1: <laughs> it's like, well, technically, that is a freedom. Yeah, shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, and here's the other thing. This is something you don't touch on, and I, this is probably a budgetary constraint, but there is probably nothing that will unite this planet better than the first alien meeting. Right, because it's suddenly now it's literally us versus them. Although yeah. here he's just trying to be. It's like, look, dudes, there's this problem you don't realize you've got, and I'm just here to say, you have this problem. Okay, we're <laughs> gonna talk, and I'm gonna leave, and let's hope it never happens again. Because
1: <laughs> you only get this once, just yeah. Why, so, why does Klaatu sound like Har- Harvey Firesteed? <laughs> I don't know, why did I send
0: my mother to Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> I, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of science fiction to come in the 50s. And there's really a very small handful of films that take science fiction seriously and never use it as a way to get kids in seats and do crazy not saying that some of the other science fiction films of the 50s aren't fun yeah if you like giant ants um and hey (laughs) good news people someone's remaking it um oh hooray (laughs) yay hooray but i yeah so i I should stop talking about that part but i really appreciate when they do science fiction seriously we're not going to see this again till outer limits and and, um
1: twilight zone i think that i think that's true i mean forbidden planet took it kind of seriously
0: Oh, it very much took it seriously. Actually, even more seriously than this did, because it took the idea of the way the human brain works, the way the human mind works, and technology, and saying, yeah, you can... And it's actually, it's a big film going, That's this is the whole that Patton Oswald science. It's not always about could, shoulda, but coulda. And yep, See
1: our episode on Forbidden Planet.
0: Yeah, so by all means, because that's one of the other handful of, I think, excellent science fiction film. One of,
1: of one of the things that confuses me in this movie, I wanted to come back to this. Mm. The diamonds. I know it's a little point, but Tom takes them around and has them appraised, and they keep saying, they're yes, they're diamonds, but they're unlike any diamonds I've ever seen. How? That I really know. bothers me. A diamond is actually a really simple thing. It's a perfect carbon grid. I mean... Why are these different? Isn't
0: carbon, like, one of the first elements in the periodic chart?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, on this planet? Yeah. I don't know if it's, I mean, it's not like hydrogen, which is supposed to be everywhere, but well, I, I don't know. It's like, what was so special about them? Why couldn't they throw that in? Like, uh, the lat- the crystal structure is weird or the something, or the, it's impossible for them to be this perfect. Yeah, I the, don't, I, I didn't get that, and it bothered me because I was really interested. I was well, also like, wait, so they have money but they use crystallized carp. What well, I wanted to know how their money worked a little, even just a little bit more, which again speaks well for it. Cause it's like, now I'm interested.
0: Yeah. I don't mind that that stuff like that is not in the film. Cause to me, that's, that's window dressing. Yeah. But I, I, but I agree with you. The fact that it's making you think or wonder as opposed to why are they doing that? Which we have a question we've asked way too many times in
1: films. I mean so. there are a few things like that. Why are there only two guards on Gort? Well But he's, he's not locked armed. in h- Yes he, he is.
0: He isn't. And here's he's the weird a thing. They talk about oh oh Gort, I'm sorry, I thought you meant Klaatu. Um, Gort doesn't do anything. Except
1: disintegrate several guns and a tank by looking at them.
0: But that's when when he stopped, he stops moving, and then later they're like, well, we'll just encase him in carbonite or whatever, (laughs) and it'll be fine, because he can't possibly get out of that. It's basically, I think it's honestly, it's like, uh,
1: what do we do to it? That just, it isn't just a question of protecting people from Gort. This is a friggin' spaceship, and there are two men watching it. What? the place would be swarmed by people trying to break pieces off or write their names on it or something. It was nice
0: that at night everyone had conveniently gone home.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, oh yeah, spaceship, that's been there for like two days. We're bored now. Yeah. Or when Klaatu, his body is in the cell, no one notices the eight-foot metal robot walking up to the base and melting the wall. Well, and
0: it didn't look like he was in a base. It looked like he was honestly in a city jail. No one noticed this. Apparently not. He well, he came up to the alley. He came up the back. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, Gort, master of stealth. I, you know, he sneaks up on those two army men to knock them out. Well, how does he sneak?
0: Um, did you ever hear him make any noise at
1: all? No, that doesn't. is true. He's completely silent.
0: And I think that actually makes him even creepier because we know he's like made of some sort of weird flexible metal doesn't make sound and as i remember my this is one of my dad's favorite films and he always used to say when the visor goes up you're in trouble yeah (laughs) it's pretty true it's not about this film in particular but i would like to bring up one very unfortunate bit of aftermath with this Mm -hmm. film it happened in 2008 do you know what i'm referring to
1: Ugh no, I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was nothing, nothing happened in 2008, certainly nothing involving Keanu Reeves. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Did you see it? I did. In fact, oh. I saw it in a, on the big screen, in Sense Around, in IMAX, whatever the hell it was.
0: So I did not see it because this is, well, spoiler, this is one of my favorite science fiction films. And I'm like, no, there's nothing Keanu Reeves can bring to this film that will oh, sure make there it is. better.
1: Klaatu Barada nicked whoa
0: <laughs> Yeah, sure. I, I watched this morning, I watched the trailer, and I'm like, huh? And then I, yes. somebody posted like the opening, I don't know, five minutes of the film. And even more so, I was, huh? Because yes. apparently now it's an environmental film. So Klaatu is yeah. actually in human form, but he's not... From another planet, if you know what I mean.
1: I don't know. Well he is. He's from another planet. They grow him a body when he comes to Earth. He basically gets a body grown for him. That's and necessary. also it turns out they've had a, an agent on the planet for hundreds of years.
0: Now to be fair, that's James Hong, and I totally yes. re, I totally respect the idea of hiring James Hong to do anything.
1: True. If I was an alien race, I would want James Hong to be my scout.
0: But like Gort is made up of like tiny little flea robots. He's a nano.
1: He's basically a nanobot collective that goes around, turns the world into gray goo.
0: And I didn't watch the film, but it looked to me like that version of the story, which is a totally different, unrelated story did exactly what this film doesn't, which is take all of the elements, blow them out of proportion and ignore the idea of, Oh, I don't know a story.
1: Yeah, now, or this an one examination is much. I think humans. this one is much more effective. It's much quieter. Even things like, it's hard. This is 1951. The effects aren't going to be great. No, but the whole the global blackout where Plato shuts off the world's electricity. I thought that was really well done,
0: except for one shot when they're you showing the England, cows No, there's in England. Oh. There's a boat going down
1: the top. It's like everything <laughs> yes, is still, but there's nothing just works one except boat. this boat. Well, maybe it was inertia, but... Sure. They give yeah. a real, a nice sense that it's global. Mm-hmm. I thought that was handled really well, although yep. I do, there's a shot in a dairy farm where this guy is trying the milking machine isn't working and all. I could think of, oh no, the cows have been deactivated. <laughs> Someone's unplugged my bovines. <laughs> but yeah. uh, despite that, I think it's a really well done sequence. It's way better than like, zap beams or blowing up the uh, washington monument or any of the other things you get in the 50s well and one of the
0: interesting things too is especially for that time period people will not have realized the extent of this until later because oh that's weird washington seems to be out of power no yeah it, the world's out of power
1: nobody knows this yeah 30 it's for 30 minutes and again, he's very careful. No planes fall out of the sky yep. and electricity in hospitals keep working. No, nope.
0: Yeah. He's very non-destructive when it comes to telling people, yeah. if you don't knock it off, we're going to destroy your planet.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's the thing. The fi- That whole final speech is really kind of grim. Hmm. Where he's like, well, thanks for murdering me. Now here, I'm not going to be as polite anymore. Well, he uh, tried. Although- he did. At that
0: point, it's like, what are you going to do? It's like, dudes... I tried to talk to you. You won't let me talk to you. So here's the message. I'm only going to be alive
1: for a short time. Yeah. So I got to tell you real quick. Yeah. What you do here is fine. We don't care. You kill each other. We don't care. Yeah. The second you leave your planet with your atomic weapons, we will. If you don't behave yourselves, we will burn your. We'll kill you. We will reduce the Earth to a burnt out cinder. That's that's what he says.
0: Before we get to our uh, talking point for the series, I would like to get to Robert Wise. So he's a little-known director who did little, tiny films. He had a, a weird start to his career. He actually helped do some editing on a tiny film no one's ever heard of called Citizen Kane. Um, oh. He actually, when they called in a director to film some extra scenes for Magnificent Ambersons, that was Robert Wise.
1: Oh. Um
0: Otherwise films Max, I know you've never heard of any of these films. Helen yeah. of Troy, Run Silent, Run Deep, West Side Story, <laughs> Sound of Music, The Sand the side, Pebbles, Andromeda's Music*. Spring. What the
1: hell does that mean? <laughs>
0: the Hindenburg oh, good Star Lord. Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. So this is early in his career. Yeah. But I think we see where he's going. And I'm well, I've seen a bunch of those films, so Yeah, so have
1: I. Yeah. The, really The, the, the Kid Shows Promise.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, if it starts off with Orson Welles, you might go somewhere. Um, But we have that question that we like to ask for this series, Monochrome or Monotromy, however you pronounce that. Would this movie work in color or be better in color?
1: I don't know if it would work in color. It might. I don't think it would be better. Because first off, I think Gort would look sillier. I think black and white, I think he works really well in that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like the play, the way they play Like with when Klaatu first appears in the boarding house and he's just standing in the shadows. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, that's a nice way to to reassure people. <laughs> I keep like, I need a room for the night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're watching this broadcast about the spaceman. Yeah. The kid, Bobby turns around and goes, hello. And there <laughs> they see this tall, because Michael Renny, I think, was like 6'4", or 6'5". Yeah, he, 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 he was very was, tall. Yep. And this is tall shadow and... The, the boarding house lady goes and turns the light on and he basically goes, I'm not scary. <laughs> I'd like a room.
1: Then I ram my ovipositor down your throat <laughs> and lay my eggs in your chest, but I'm not an alien. <laughs> no, I, I think it, I, I like the black and white for this. I think it makes, I think it's much more effective.
0: I'm not sure, this is not a film, I will say, as good as I think Robert De- Robert Wise can be as a director. I don't think this is a film where black and white is used
1: astoundingly he doesn't, he doesn't, well. He doesn't play, he doesn't take advantage of it the way some of the other directors we've talked about did. No. I'd I go... I, th- I think it wouldn't ruin it. I think
0: no. It'd... I think it's a, in this case, it was very much a budgetary concern. Yeah. You know, we're not going to put out the money for a science fiction film for color. We're not doing it. Yeah. So, although the fact they did it for, for Forbidden Planet, but of course that film only cost like three times what they did.
1: <laughs> I, I do have to, there's one other po- uh, point I had to make, and that's when Klaatu's explaining their society how they created a race of robots and gave them absolute power over all aggression over them like 1951 it's like oh wow okay because you know machines don't make mistakes looking at it from our perspective (laughs) i'm like isn't that how skynet got started well so (laughs) i know they're better at making robots than we are i hope
0: well here's the other thing too because we'll get into this with science fiction and ai one of actually one of my favorite subjects for science fiction films when people actually use the ai Trope, if you will, to really think about what it means to be considered a person. We talked about this in Her, which they did really well. Very yeah. interestingly, we talked about it. It's not really the same thing, but kind of the same thing in Swan Song. But when we're looking at robots and intelligence, Generally, science fiction says, well, of course, they're just going to start pulling guns and shooting everything and going crazy because that's what they do. I really prefer it when there's another solution and another way that they could look yeah,
1: at it. Yeah, we've those. seen that done well. But and yeah, in this I'm, case, d- I'm like, just saying, and again, it's a different attitude. In 19, yeah. in the 1950s, robots would be magic, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and it's it's that's the reason that the original story is called Farewell of the Master because everyone thought that Klaatu was the master, and it turned yeah. out he's not. He's just there. Basically, Gort's... And they calls them a race of robots, which I yeah, thought was really interesting.
1: interesting.
0: I think, basically, Gort... A robot of few words, thankfully. <laughs> basically said, we need to go talk to Earth. And he's like, what, right now? Yes, now. And so Klaatu gets okay. into Gort's ship. Because yeah. that Gort, as far as I can tell, is like, this is the deal. We're going to do this. You have one chance to do this nicely. After that, I'm coming back and, you know, Death Starring the place.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's really... Even though he doesn't talk and he's not really a character, what it's basically saying is we decided peace was worth more than pretty much everything else. So that's what's happened, and I—it's an interesting aspect. It'd be cool if we could explore that a little bit more. But like you're right, for 51, that's a pretty brave statement to make.
1: Yeah, it's also—it's a tricky thing. I mean, we can't address it here, but it's that whole idea of—is peace worth any price, including the loss of freedoms? The thing is, as they say here, basically the only freedom you give up is the freedom to act like an idiot.
0: Yeah. So I would like to talk real quickly. I know we're, we're getting towards that point. I would like to yeah. talk. We, we sometimes at the end of series bring up a sort of overview. And I would like to talk about black, black and sure. white photography. For me, having seen mostly older films, but still that one new film, The Lighthouse, I got to say, I think it's still a viable solution. Yeah. The thing is, there has to be a reason for it. And more importantly... I think the cinematographer has to be well-versed in how it works, because yeah, it's not just yeah. shooting things without color.
1: Yeah. You really have to be able to play with light and shadow. You have to be able to play with different shades of gray. And I think you're right. You can't just use it as a gimmick. It has to It has to bring something to the table. And like with, with The Artist, which was another fairly recent black and white movie, it's be paying tribute to the old silent films.
0: I think, especially with The Lighthouse, and of course, when you see something in black and white, our minds can't help but think, oh, this is old, or this isn't yeah. current day. Uh-huh. This is just how it goes. You know, and, and films like Pleasantville. So Pleasantville plays with it, and it's like, oh, yeah. we're going into the past, it's black and white, but color's leaching in. I don't think that black and white fits every mood evenly. Like, I don't think a current day comedy in black and white would work unless you were using the black and white, like in Pleasantville, as a kind of gimmick. Yeah. But in The Lighthouse, which admittedly is a period piece, the texture, the depth of shadows, the overwhelming gloom that is brought forth in that cinematography really does add. And, you know, we talked about that film would not have been anywhere near as effective in black and white. Interestingly, the current version of Macbeth that was on Apple TV Plus. That was done in black and white. I think worked really well in black and white, and it's. I think it I did. Think it, vo- it oh, it evokes the 16th century. Or 17th well, no, century. It,
1: because as you say, the director knows how to use it. Yeah. And and he, he doesn't just go oh we're just going to you know, turn off the color. It's like no, I'm going to use the monochrome medium. Yeah. And and explore it. You no, know, uh, I think I've, that's true. I think that it's, it can be still a very valuable, and very interesting to watch uh, device.
0: I think that most people would sit there and go, Why is it in camera? But as we have been watching more and more films because we're older, (laughs) I think it's one of those things we can appreciate. When it's done well, it really adds a lot. And it can. It's not for every film, but it's still, I think, a viable option depending on what you're doing. But we should get to that roundup thing where people will be surprised by our answer.
1: The
0: finish. So, Max. Yeah. We don't, you saw it originally years yeah, and years yep. ago, blah, 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 blah. You watched it again for the show. That's the important I part. So, this film is 71, almost 72 years old. Yes. Do you think it holds up?
1: Yes, absolutely. I really think it does. I think the acting is still very good. I think the story is interesting. We've seen it done a lot of different times, a lot of different ways. And honestly, uh, after having watched the Keanu version. <laughs> Which is I is have it part very, of the
0: Keanu verse it's
1: part of the Keanu verse yes he <sighs> was actually the,
0: I, I understand he's a very nice man but yes I he's just,
1: apparently a sweetie but really you know but this <laughs> one it might as well have been called you know Klaatu and Gort's excellent adventure but <laughs> uh, no not really he's very serious in it and unfortunately oddly enough that's one of the things that was a problem because Michael Reddy's Klaatu, has a kind of humor about him. He mm-hmm. can see sort of the absurd things, and there's a kindness. Claude, Keanu plays him like almost a robot himself. Hmm. Like we do not have your human emotions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then the bubble started. Man. And then the bubble
1: started. <laughs> <laughs> I think this works. I think sure the effects are goofy, but for the time, they're they do really well with what they have. What, what about you? I mean, what do you what do you think? You think it holds up?
0: Yeah, I do. I I really appreciate science fiction when it takes a less look out monsters approach, and it tries to, and that's the point of science fiction is to try and look at some aspect of humanity, of our society, through a different lens. It's trying to refocus attention in a way that we don't realize we're looking at ourselves, and I think that this film does that very well. And especially for the time, it's got some pretty broad ideas in it that we will basically not see for most of the 50s and well into the 60s until we get to things like, again, Outer Limits, uh, Twilight Zone, and Star Trek. Uh, Thankfully, Lost in Space is there to still bring back the giant (laughs) carrots that (laughs) science fiction has taught us to be afraid of.
1: It was the pain. The pain of it all.
0: The acting is solid. I think yep. everybody does a good job. I appreciate that we don't know most of the actors because I think it would have been worse with an, an actor. I think Spencer the crowd scenes Tracy. generally work really well. Maybe the spaceship doesn't quite look all that real when it's landing, but it looks a lot better than some of the other films that will come after it. Yeah. Um, Robert Wise is a really good director. He proves it here. He, he will prove it many times afterwards. Many,
1: many, many times. Yes. No. I think. I think we agree. It's. It, this yeah. Works.
0: And in general, with monochrome, black and white, check it out. Don't just think, oh, old movies. Yeah, sometimes... don't just
1: dismiss it. Don't dismiss it as a gimmick or as an old or as something from the past. It's still viable.
0: Yeah, and even if it is from the past, you may find yourself surprised at how amazing some of these films actually look. But we have a uh, poll question that uh, Max will go over now and yes, how do. to answer it.
1: So this, poll question, this week's poll question is, what cinematic disaster scenario is the most... Viscerally, personally frightening for you. you know, volcanoes, earthquakes, insurance salesmen, whatever. <laughs> our show. <laughs> our show, podcasts, the plague upon mankind. And you can answer this. You can email us directly at us at MaxMikeMovies.com. You can go to our website, MaxMikeMovies.com, and leave a comment. Also, you can You know, make suggestions for other series, other movies you think we'd like that would be interesting to hear about. And you can find us on the sole social media we use, Facebook, under Max Mike Movies. And if you've started using a different one, something else you think we should be on, let us know, okay?
0: Because we will not be like the Elon. We will not (laughs) live like the Elon. The Elon. (laughs) It's amazing how much mileage we can get out of Robot Monster.
1: I think we can get quite a lot. Come on, that thing's been going for decades.
0: A black and white film, I might point out. A black
1: and white masterpiece.
0: (laughs) Of a gorilla with a porthole on its head.
1: But yeah, Yeah, but this is the end of our monochrome series, and we are starting up a brand new series next week. You know what this series is going to be about? Porn! Which is what the internet is for. Porn! Max, that, that would
0: be a disaster. We can't do that.
1: Well, why not
0: combine the two? What? Take <laughs> two great tastes and make one great taste together? You
1: got porn in my disaster.
0: <laughs> we're going to do Reese's Peanut Butter Cups?
1: Yes, we are. I'm of the Reese's Peanut No, we're doing disaster porn. Disaster Movies. porn.
0: When blowing stuff up is the whole point of a movie.
1: <laughs> when disaster... You are there to see everything break.
0: Because how many Hollywood stars can we kill off in two hours?
1: And uh, what are we going to start off with?
0: Well, I thought we would start off with a classic of the genre, a film that people have been talking about since it came out, that people will probably be speaking about for decades to come. Showgirls? (laughs) See our entire (laughs) episode on Showgirls, (laughs) so you don't have to watch the movie. (laughs) Yes, that is disaster, and it yeah. does have porn in it, so in a way, <laughs> no, and we no. shall never speak about showgirls
1: <laughs> again. Oh, yes, we will. No,
0: we won't. No, we're going to be talking about that absolute pinnacle of disaster porn, Geostorm. Yes. Oh, Lord.
1: Geostorm. Oh, <laughs> no. Hey, it's no Sharknado. Oh, Geostorm, I geo-hate you. I'm still itching. <laughs>